We're kicking off a little college football. It is that time of year again. College football, it is back. talked about this day for a long time, and it's here. It's time. It's, it's time. time. Let's go. Don't leave today disappointed. Everybody write it down. Let's go. Welcome to the second episode of Gridiron Gold. I'm your host, Chloe Norseth. Joining me today is Jacob Willoughby, Keaton Campbell, and Ellery Davidson. On the last episode of Gridiron Gold, we talked about the conference realignment, the ending of the Pac-12, and the changes that are coming in 2024. In this episode, we're going to talk about NIL and how that's affected college football and the changes and the things that we're thinking are going to happen in the future with NIL and how it affects student athletes. First up, we'll hear from Jacob Willoughby and his story with interviews from Jake Sandell, Bryce Ortega, and Bill Riley. The writing is on the wall. College football history is happening right in front of our eyes. Take, for example, conference realignment. Historic college football programs like USC, UCLA, Texas, Oklahoma, Oregon, Washington, and more will all call a new conference home in 2024. After the first dominoes started to drop with Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC, more and more teams started to search for new conferences looking for bigger payouts. As of right now, it appears that the conceptual super conferences discussed around bar tables and college dorm rooms for years could be a reality within the next decade. Another implication of the realignment is the college football playoff situation. Some teams will benefit from the easier schedules because the big teams are leaving their conference, while others will have a much harder schedule, making it even more difficult for them to make the playoff. Clemson is a school in the Atlantic Coast Conference that hasn't been seriously affected by the realignment yet, but could in the near future. No powerhouse teams are moving to their conference, and the few teams that compete at the top of college football are not planning on leaving as of right now. Bryce Ortega, a student studying at Clemson, believes Clemson has a few options when it comes to realignment. I really don't know which pathway they'll take. I can see it both ways. On one hand, um, the money is exponential if they join another Power 5 conference. The level of games they can be playing, the competitors they can be playing, and the national stage that they can be presented due to the higher-profile games with better teams, I think could lead to a tidal wave of additional income for Clemson and especially their football program. But I can also see why they would want to stay in the ACC. Historically, their path to the national playoffs has been easiest just due to the level of competition they face historically in the ACC. They're essentially one of the only big teams in the ACC that can consistently compete on the national stage. So I understand Either way, I'm all for more competitive games, higher profile games, and more exciting matchups. These teams leaving their conference isn't the only major transformation taking place in the college football realm. Previous to the 30th of June in 2021, 
college athletes could not make any profits based on their name, image, or likeness. Instead, universities were able to take in 100% of the money they were making off of these college athletes. While no one is arguing that universities shouldn't make money off of the football programs they put so much time, effort, and money into, many people noticed that college athletes were getting taken advantage of. One of, if not the most legendary examples of this being the case, is Johnny Manziel. Third and 23. Manziel trying to put it into it. Johnny football with a night to remember. Touchdown, Texas a and for most people, the legend of Johnny Manziel was born on the 10th of November, 2012. The Texas A&M Aggies, led by Manziel, their freshman quarterback, toppled the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, rocketing Manziel's name into the Heisman conversation and into the forefront of the national media's attention. From there, the Aggies continued to be one of the best teams in the country, and Manziel's legend continued to grow. At the end of the season, Johnny Menzel became the first, and as of right now, only freshman to ever win the Heisman Trophy. And now, the 2012 winner of the Heisman Memorial Trophy is Johnny Manziel. Later on in 2013, the NCAA suspended Manziel for half of a game for a violation for signing autographs. The NCAA and Texas A&M stated they could not find hard proof that he signed these autographs, but suspended him anyways. We all know he did it, and a recent documentary that Manziel was a part of confirmed it. At the time, Johnny Manziel was estimated to bring in about $37 million in one year for the Texas A&M program, and NCAA regulations did not allow him to benefit. Now, with the allowance of players to profit off of their name, image, and likeness, players with huge names like Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr., can make the money they have deserved for decades. With all of these changes, football fans around the country have their own opinions on it. Jack Sandell, a football fan studying at the University of Utah, has an interesting perspective on the future. It's going to be weird. Uh, I think to start, they should have just stayed in the conferences that they had set primarily. But I think now you have conferences such as the Big Ten that have teams up in New Jersey, such as Rutgers, and then you have Southern California teams such as UCLA and USC. I think obviously from a fan perspective, it's interesting and intriguing, but I think when you kind of break it down for the players, they're you know crossing the entire country on five, six-hour flights. But I think the NCAA is just a, a business, and they couldn't care less about the players. So as long as it's making money, they'll just kind of push the rest off. Very interesting perspective from Jack. But it's not just students who are talking about this. People from college dorms to live on-air personalities at ESPN, all the way up to commissioners at conference headquarters are having these conversations as well. Bill Riley, host of ESPN 700 and 92.1 FM and The Bill Riley Show, had a lot to say about the future of NIL. But I think you're going to see football, especially football, a little bit maybe with some of the other sports, but but football mostly structured like a pro sport you know the nil stuff it, it's great in theory but you've got to put some guardrails on it because there's going to be a lot of people that invest in nil and then don't get a return on investment people yeah. eventually want to return on their on their investment so i think you're going to see things structured to where deals are negotiated almost like pro contracts or nil deals are going to have incentive you might get a little bit of a base initially 
But if you want to earn the rest of your NIL deal, it's going to be performance-based. You're going to have to score touchdowns or get sacks or make field goals or whatever it might happen to be. I think that, you know, we're still really early on in this, but I think as we move forward, I think those NIL deals are going to become a little bit more performance-based. To conclude, the train on change in college football has left the station. The conferences are realigning to form the most powerful conferences they have been in college football history. Collegiate athletes are finally able to make money on their own name, image, and likeness. These historic changes have taken place over the course of just the past few years. Who knows what the next five years holds in store? Could we see two super conferences? Could programs make NIL their main selling point to high school recruits? Only time will tell. I had the opportunity to sit down with Boomer Esiason and ask him a few questions about NIL and how it's going to affect college football and the future of student athletes. So you kind of mentioned a little bit about the NIL deals. And so my question is, what are your thoughts on the NIL deals in college football? Well, I understand uh, when I was in college football, they were selling my jerseys at the team store. They were promoting me on all of their paraphernalia to get people to buy season tickets. Uh, we were on national TV, I think, at least four or five times. It wasn't the money back then that there is now. And there wasn't the understanding from the athlete's perspective of just how much money was being made. And it took a U.S. Supreme Court ruling to really open up the books and make people realize what the hell is going on. I think right now we are in the world, uh, wild, wild west of NIL uh, development. I don't necessarily know that the NCAA really has any control over it. Uh, they are a body that I think is feckless, and I know they're trying to reassert themselves back into the conversation. I just don't know if any of the Power Five schools really wants to hear from the NCAA. And remember, the NCAA makes the bulk of its money from college basketball, not even college football. College football is college football, and its Power Five conferences are kind of like aligned together, and each individual conference has their own TV deals. That's why you see the expansion of conferences and the loss of the Pac-10 and all of this other stuff going on because of these TV deals. So it's a little bit of the wild, wild west. I'm not a big uh, supporter of the individual universities collectives where they're asking alumni and boosters to support, to raise money, to be able to give money to players playing football that are receiving a scholarship. So I, I just, I think the whole thing's out of whack right now. I just don't know or don't have a personal answer as to how they're going to fix it. And I know that there are brighter minds than mine that are trying to come up with some sort of plan to at least somewhat regulate uh, some of this no money. So there is a fairer playing field for everybody. As of right now, my school, the University of Maryland, you know, has a collective. I'm not giving any money to it because I'm not paying any college kid or high school kid to come play football at my college. If it's not good enough for them to come there, get an education, enjoy playing at Bird Stadium in front of the fans, and go somewhere else and pay, play and go get paid. I don't really care. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I think college should be about the experience for the young man or woman uh, that wants to play a sport that they love for the school that they love. And if they can make money off the field with their name, image, and likeness through endorsements or jersey sales or you know autograph signings, that's great. That's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But when you start getting into these collectives, paying kids to come to school on top of the scholarships, that's where I draw the line. 
With that being said, the Crimson Club Collective at the University of Utah provided all 85 scholarship players with the Ram trucks this last week. Um, knowing that there are walk-ons that are playing ahead of the scholarship athletes, do you think that there is a cause for concern about the chemistry in the locker room? Um, I, I would worry about that. I know that there are some players that do share some of their stuff with their players, but you know, there's a lot of things that these athletes have to take into account. Number one is taxes. <laughs> you know, everybody forgets about those little nasty things that the government likes to take from you. I would hope that there are people who are advising these, these players when they do receive gifts like this, and they may have received a gift like a lease uh, for a Dodge Ram, simply because it falls under the uh, falls under the amount of money that you can gift to somebody. I'm not sure if these players all have to pay taxes on that or how that works in the state of Utah or actually at the federal level as well. But I will say this. Um, if I were a student at the University of Utah, I'd be a little bit disgusted. I'm paying tuition to go to school there while other players are get or other students are getting, you know, free vehicles and uh, a lot of stuff uh, under the, you know, for just being a football player. So I would, uh, I think there are problems ahead, uh, not just within the sports themselves, Chloe, but I do think with the student bodies themselves, eventually there's going to be pushback somewhere along the line. I just don't know when it's going to happen or how intense it's going to be. How do you think it's changed the dynamics of college football as a whole? So Deion Sanders took over the football program at Colorado. He is the prime example in the football world. On the basketball side, it would be Rick Pitino at St. John's University in New York. Both of these guys come in with unbelievable reputations of success at whatever they have done in their lives. Um, both of them have had made mistakes in their lives that they've had to overcome, and they have done that. Um, both of them have unique support from boosters that obviously are a lot more supporters of those respective schools. Uh, they have an advantage. They have a reputation and they have money. And they basically go in and tell their kids when they first get the jobs, look, we may not want you here, you know? And uh, I would suggest that you enter the transfer portal yourself because most likely we're not gonna want you here. And then they rebuild their teams like this mad rush to free agency uh, in Major League Baseball and all the major sports for that matter. So um, I think it's basically putting sports above everything else. Um, it's more important than going to school. It's more important than building character, although I will say that both Dion and Rick Pitino are trying to emphasize going to school, being a man of your word, growing up to be somewhat accountable as a human being. So I appreciate those messages that those guys are putting out. But at the end of the day, for them, it's about getting the best athletes on the court and on the field to win their respective games and to build up their own images in terms of and reputations as, as coaches. So uh, they definitely have a head start and they definitely have an advantage over every other coach out there. That's all my questions that I have for you. So thank you so much. Wow, you're, that's a, that, that, that is a very easy interview, Chloe. I appreciate it. And uh, I wish you and your Utah Utes uh, nothing but the best. We've heard many different perspectives about how NIL has affected college football, whether it was a student, student athlete, coaches, and colleges all around. Now, we're going to listen to an interview from Ellery, and the person she interviewed is Carson Young, who works with NIL and how it has affected 
his business so far. The CEO and founder of Foam Laundry, one of my dearest friends and one of the most knowledgeable people you could talk to about name, image, and likeness when it comes to football, brands in general. So we're going to hear from him today on his company, his thoughts, and what he's been able to do with NIL. So Carson, thank you for joining the show today. Thanks for having me. So Carson, start off and tell me a little bit about what is Foam, how it got started, what is your company? Yeah. So Foam is like DoorDash for Laundry. It's originally built for college students. Um, we're now expanding that to kind of everybody, mainly people living in you know apartment buildings. Started at the U uh, my freshman year, so a couple of years ago, uh, in the dorms at Lasonde, and then we've now grown it, expanded it. And now we've we figured out a lot. So. Super smart. A, a few years ago, you got involved early with the football team, right as NIL was kind of making its way into the spotlight. Oh. Who did you sign first? What was your initial thought? Yeah. How? What did you think it, it was? Do you think it was going to turn out like it has? What are your thoughts? Uh, definitely not how I thought it was going to turn out. So actually, funny story, which I don't even know if you know. We originally signed a lacrosse player like a year and a half, almost two years ago now. Um, his name's Brandon Wilson. Shout and out, Brandon Shout Wilson. out, Dubs. That's my guy. <laughs> um, and yeah, he, he did some good work for us. But it wasn't really like NIL in the way that it looks and feels now. It was kind of just like literally like they signed it and we're like, okay, let's figure out something. And just, you know, we got him and he did a bunch of cool content, but it wasn't leveraging the brand to the fullest extent. Okay. Um, and so we learned a lot from that, right? I kind of took that back to the workshop, you know, kind of disappeared for a while in, 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 in NIL space. And then one of my good friends, um, Jake, you know, he called me literally one night and he was with, uh, he was on FaceTime and he was with Makai, Bernard. Um, shout out Kai. Shout out Kai. And he uh, he said, "Yo, like, let's work. Yeah, we really want to work with each other." Um, so Jake kind of helped set that up, and then I literally just started googling, like, how do we <laughs> sign a contract? Like, what do we need to do? Um, spent a couple weeks just like figuring out how to do everything like above board, how to get it all signed. Wrote a bunch of contracts because apparently that's part of my job. Um, <laughs> yeah, crazy. And got Makai signed. So we signed him in probably oh shoot like. I don't know, like nine, eight, nine, eight or nine months ago. Um, and did him for a little bit, got a bunch of engagement from that. And like immediately it like took off. We're like, okay, it's, something's working here. Right, right. Um, and I would always talk to him, um, be like, yo, like talk to your teammates, talk to like, we would love to work with other people. And, you know, slow, slow going. And it just like kind of like slowly grew from there. Um, but then it just like, it's a lot of just like relationship building. So we've kind of approached NIL a little differently than I guess traditional people, or I guess people traditionally have right. seemed to approach it because um, I have a lot of like personal relationships with a lot of our athletes and so we kind of go backwards about it, I guess. Right. Um, but yeah, we've, so like I ended up meeting CJ and Jono and all of them just at like, I think it was at a party. Um, and you, I, I thought it was at Wingstop. It was at Wingstop. You're right. You're right. It was at Wingstop. And I just brought up that I worked with Kai and they're like, dude, let's work. And then, you know, just ever expanding. So then we, I think we have like 17 NIL athletes now. So we've grown a good bit. Isn't that crazy um, how like one relationship with somebody yeah. can turn into like absurd this massive deal, <laughs> yeah. right? Like it's crazy, and now like you're you guys are huge with the university, yeah. And it's just great that you've been able to get to this point, yeah. So, what do you think is the key to building these type of relationships with these athletes? Like, what gives them the incentive to work with foam? I think the biggest thing, and this is true not just about nil or foam is 
uh, is just like providing more value than you take. And I know that's true about, in my opinion, right. just about all yeah. businesses, like over deliver on the value to the athlete themselves. And I mean, that can be seen in some stuff that we have actually done together. Right. Um, the interviews, like the interviews for us are honestly just more about like the relationship building with the athlete. I mean, it's good for brand awareness. It makes people like kind of know the name, but for the, for the people listening to this who oh, yeah, don't know what sorry. those interviews are, explain to us like your ideas behind those interviews, what yeah. your hopes were, yeah. what they've done for you so far. Sure. Um, so the idea literally was just, you know, we were out on like, I think we were, me and my friends were out like on a hike and we were just like, dude, that'd be so cool. Um, so I grew up like a huge Utah football fan and sports fan in general. And I found myself constantly asking, especially with like college athletes of like, I wish I knew them a little bit better. Right. Like you see all this you know, you see them on the field or you see them All on the, the court. About the, right, right course. but you don't know who they are as people. And then I got to know these people um, and athletes off the field as just friends. And I was right. like, man, they have really cool stories. A lot of these people have like wild journeys of how they got here. And so I thought it'd be really cool to help showcase that. And you did a really good job bringing that out of them. We'll see that coming soon. <laughs> working on Possibly. it. Possibly. Possibly <laughs> working Maybe. on it. Definitely. Um, but yeah. Um, that was really cool. So that was, I guess, back to my original point is it's just about delivering value. So like for them, basically all the brands they're working with, none of them are doing that. They're not doing personal interviews, like talking just about them. Like, right. Like a lot of the brands focus just on like, hi, like I'm insert brand. I'm right. wearing your logo. And it feels to me, it feels forced. It's not organic. And it doesn't feel like something that the athlete resonates with. And that versus... doesn't, that's not longevity. Either, Correct. It's right? it, Yeah. It's just slapping a logo on something and hoping that you steal their audience and then like hopefully, you know, some percentage of those people like your product. Whereas what I'm trying to do with foam in general, but more specifically with NIL is build almost a community that people can be part of. And it's, it's bigger than just laundry. It's like right. kind of, I don't know, it's something bigger than that. We haven't fully identified what that is yet, but just something that everyone wants to be part of. And the athletes have done a really good job, including yourself, um, have gone, done a really good job about building like a universe for people to step into um, and like, you know, when you use foam, you're part of something that's a lot bigger than just like that you would give to somebody who has a business that's looking to get into the NIL world and yeah. make an impact in these athletes lives. What do you think is the best way to go about that? Yeah. Um, big brand with like a multi-million dollar marketing budget. Right. You're not going to have starting quarterback. Shout out Cam. Um, <laughs> or like you don't swing for the fences at first, start small, prove your value to the athlete. And also prove the athlete's value to yourself, right? You don't want to go and spend X amount of dollars on somebody and then just have it return you nothing. You know. Yeah, exactly. You got to learn. It's like for us, like with Brandon, I had like we lead on content as opposed to having the athlete lead on content. No matter how good the athlete is at content. In general, it's like we like to control the content so then we can control the quality. And then by doing that, giving athletes, which a lot of them have never worked with true brands before, right. they're having high quality, like directed content coming out about them. And so for them, like one of the big advantages of working with us is that we're proving on a small enough scale and we have a one-to-one -one relationship so they trust us. But it's like you can, you have the ability, you're professional enough, you're right. like marketable enough to work with real brands. Right. And so for them, they can take that and, you know, work with bigger brands than just us. And, you know, we've kind of proven that for them. So that's something we provide the athlete. Which I love that about foam is that you guys actually provide the, the definition of NIL, which is name, yeah. image, likeness, yeah. right? You do a really good job at showcasing who these athletes are, not just, you know, in it for the bag on mm -hmm. both sides. Like there is a lot of other value <laughs> that comes out of it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So 
college football in general, it's changing a lot. We know that it happened yeah. with NIL. The conferences are changing. It's all yeah. over the place. How do you think NIL has affected college football in general? Yeah, that's another good question. Um, I actually, hot take, think it's balanced college football a lot. And you can already see it in like the parody at the top. Like Alabama is no longer running the show. Right, right. Or, I mean, insert top four schools, Ohio State, whatever. Like there's a lot more schools competing at the top. And it's because like, okay, for example, like every, there's only what, 32 five stars a year. Right. Well, now with NIL and people being able to kind of like spread the bag around, it, it's not every five star going to one school. It's actually like leveling the playing field a little bit. Like and I like take. that. Yeah, I um, like that too. I think that's cool. And it's it's going to take a little bit to like shake itself out. We are quite literally living in the actual Wild West. Trust me, <laughs> like I'm seeing it. There's no rules. And that's a good thing and it's also a bad thing. Um, we're kind of defining the rules as we go. Um, but from a college football perspective, I think it's really cool. I, funny enough, wrote a like a 20-page paper my freshman year about why college athletes should be paid. Oh, how interesting. Weird. Before NIL or anything happened, like I was trying to make that argument just on like a personal level. Um, so what, it, was it, it main, is, what was your main argument? Do you remember? I mean, they're they're like professional athletes, right. essentially. Like in name only, I guess they do go to school, but they're providing, I mean, the a U, I think the football team here made 73 million in profit in 2022. Wow. They're making like crazy money. I mean, it's funding the university. So for the athletes to share in the wealth that they're creating, it's only fair to me. Um, but yeah, I think it's really good for college football. It's going to take a little bit to sort out the craziness, right, but right. they'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, that's, I don't know. What are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I think NIL is awesome. I yeah. think it's massive as a college athlete myself. Yeah. I think it makes a huge impact for a lot of people. And when you put as much time and hours and energy into a sport at any age you should be able to get some type of value out of yeah. it that's you know compensation based so yeah. I, but when it comes down to it what do you think it do you think that it needs to be regulated because some of those other schools are just getting completely left in the dust or do you think this should just be the new normal and every school for itself i mean I believe that like free markets will equal themselves out at some level. Right. Like at the end of the day, if businesses aren't making money, they can't just lose money buying players forever. Right. I mean, maybe they right. can, but right. most businesses can't. So I think in, in actuality, just in that sense, it'll work itself out there. Um, I do think that there's some regulation needed to just prevent bad actors on both sides. We've right. had experiences like negative experiences working with athletes just the same as athletes have had negative experiences working with brands. Right. And I think there is some room for just a basic rule set there of how to operate just to make sure everyone's protected. But at the same time, I also think like, bro, let them get their bag. Like if they're worth what they're worth, like let them share in that right. wealth. Um, something kind of off topic, but I think it's really cool that cheerleaders like yourself and other, I guess, non like traditional sports or mm -hmm. what, whatever you'd think of as like revenue generating right, or right. whatever sports, like you guys are still athletes too. We work with other cheerleaders. Um, we're working on adding basketball, awesome. ski. Like there's a lot of non like and quote unquote NIL opportunities for right. brands that are willing to look for them. But you have to be looking for more than just to slap your logo on the best player on the field. Right. And more like, okay, I'm I as a brand, like what are we? And what do we stand for in like the hearts and minds of consumers? 
And then in that, like, okay, well, what, who does that resonate with? Right. Like for us, it's like, you know, college students and specifically the U, like a ton of kids ski, you know, that absolutely a ton. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a big market there. If people could just think a little bit bigger, than right. Just like, like you said, slapping a label on it. Yeah. Those connections with all these different types of people. Yeah. You start to realize the opportunities around you. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? So how do you as a company navigate working with athletes when it turns out to be maybe a negative, a more negative experience than you were hoping for? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I look at it the way I look at all business as a whole. I don't think we separated any different just because they're athletes. I treat, I try and treat our athletes. I mean, obviously on a personal level, I treat them just like a human, right? I'm 22. They're roughly in my age range. So I can relate to them true. on a very... Yeah personal level in that way but um going back to your actual question is i try and just like deal with all business relationships good and bad like relatively neutrally it's like you know like you know maybe this didn't work out great for us like really i take it back to myself it's like okay what did we do wrong because there's always it's two sides of every story like we obviously had some part in that and if we didn't set up the right like framework for them to succeed or like accountability or there's right. there's always ways for us to improve yes so i try my best to just kind of like i mean it is what it is like right, right? you're never going to make 100 percent of perfect decisions and right. especially with these athletes like it's like it works when it works right. if it doesn't it doesn't but i'm not going to lose sleep over it and it's like how do we make it better for the next 10 athletes 10 athletes that we sign really yeah like how do we make sure that doesn't happen again so that's how i I treat. I don't know if that's the right way to look no, at it. No, but like, you know, we're all we're all just learning and that's what you have yeah, to do. Because totally. at the end of the day, NIL is a business, right? Totally, so yeah. it's like there's decisions that are gonna be made that are right, wrong in totally. between. So it's just all about the learning curve. Yeah. After hearing the thoughts from Boomer, Bill, and Carson, what are your guys' thoughts on NIL and how it's affecting sports and college? I think NIL is really interesting because it's providing opportunities that we've never seen before and we're in super uncharted territory. So I think it's hard to develop a like super strong opinion one way or another just because we have no idea like what's going to happen to NIL. But I think it's awesome right now because it's giving college players an opportunity to make money so they don't necessarily have to make it to the NFL to set themselves up for life. So it's, you know, they're making these universities a lot of money. I think it's awesome that they're able to kind of set themselves up for their futures. I definitely agree. There's a lot of pros to NIL, but there's also a lot of cons too that we have to talk about. One thing that I'm worried about as a college football fan is we've already seen college football be dominated by the same programs for a long time. And if these programs end up making more money, they can give up bigger deals, then that might become even more of the case that the best teams are always going to pay the players to win, just make like a pay to win system. Um, So that scares me. But uh, again, we're in the wild, wild west right now. So we're just gonna have to see how things pan out. Yeah, I think it's just the regulation of it that that is the hard part. I mean, like, paying athletes is something that kind of happened before NIL that was just like something that was happening on the back burner of things. But that was like something that didn't really get talked about. So but um, but now that it's something that can happen legally, it's just what how you how you regulate it and and allow it to happen out there in the open and stuff, and it's just a hard thing to go through. But I'm glad that athletes can really get paid. Yeah. I I agree with you said, Jake. I think there's a huge concern of you know whether or not players are going to return to teams and all that kind of stuff because you know we've got more money that's going to be offered from other schools that could bring a lot more money in so yeah like what about the transfer portal 
right? Right. Like you have a really good season at a smaller school and then Alabama says, oh, if you come here, we'll pay you $5 million. And then that small school can't really hold on to players because anybody that plays really well just gets picked up by a bigger program. It's kind of like international soccer. That, that happens a lot, right? Like it's kind of scary. I think a big concern too is kind of looking at all of the teams and how that they can now boost their rosters and everything and have a lot more um, deals going into that. I think that's going to really kind of have an impact on each conference and that kind of stuff like Colorado, you know, getting a whole new roster with 85 players. You know, they have that money now that they can start paying them. And I think another hard part of it is we're having 18-year-olds dealing with millions of dollars. And I think that can become really controversial on how they're going to spend that money and (laughs) use it for who knows what. And I think that's a huge um, impact. It's really changing the recruiting process, which is interesting, not only the transfer portal, but, you know, these kids coming out of high school, right? Like you mentioned, they're so young and they have the opportunity to make it so big, which is incredible in a lot of ways. But like you said, it can also, there's there's no regulations around this right now. So it's going to be interesting to see how the recruiting process changes from recruiting these high school players and if the transfer portal players are taking over or if high school players are still going to be a viable option. Like, we'll have to see. I think it's also going to impact the NFL draft a little bit too. You know, we got now we got teams that are going to have to start paying their players even more money, especially as like a starting rookie, because they're getting paid, you know, $4 million, $3 million in college. They're going to have to really get, you know, money to entice them to play. Because, I mean, kids are going to stay in college as long as they possibly can because they're making more money. And some of them might make more money in college than they'll ever will in NFL, which I think is a good part because, you know, yeah, then they I have that so too. opportunity yeah. to, you know, they're still kind of setting up a little bit of a future here. But at the yeah. same time, it's like, you know, now we're looking at, you know, Brock Purdy's only making like half a million or something on a rookie um, contract when you got, you know, Caleb Williams over here making like two to three million dollars a year and he's still in college. So, you know, kind of looking at that and it's like, you know, where's that line to make it, you know, difference between college and NFL? So I think that's going to have a huge impact. Um, I just have a quick question, Ellery. I know that you're a student athlete here. How has that kind of affected you and um, your choices of choosing school and that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think it it wouldn't have affected the school that I've chosen, but I think athletes put in a lot of time and effort into their sports here at the U and everywhere. And I think it's awesome that there can be some type of monetary value that comes along with it. Because a lot of athletes don't work jobs or don't have time to work jobs. And so it's, it's fantastic that you can get these different deals and different opportunities and that that is opening up um, to bring experiences for everyone. And it's also really cool because, you know, there's not a whole ton of money in every single sport at every university, right? It's not really evenly spread, which is totally fine. Like business is business, but I think it's cool that these private companies and local businesses can contribute to helping out these athletes. And then also as an athlete, you can help contribute to promoting these businesses and overall improving the community and making um, it more well-rounded and more well-known which I think is awesome. Right, that is awesome. That's really incredible that you have that opportunity to do that. It's awesome. Go Utes. <laughs> NIL has had a lot of effects on college football, and the changes have already had huge impacts on how the game is played. 
In the next episode of Gridiron Gold, Jacob Willoughby will take us in depth with the NFL draft in 2024. Thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Chloe Norseth, signing out. Talked about this day for a long time, and it's here. It's time. It's, it's time. time. Let's go. Don't leave today disappointed. Everybody, right now, let's go.